Welcome to the Manuscript Academy podcast, brought to you by a writer and an agent who both believe that education is key. The beauty is the people you meet along the way, and that community makes all the difference. Here at the Manuscript Academy, you can learn the skills, make the connections, and have access to experts all from home. I'm Julie Kingsley. And I'm Jessica Sinsheimer. Put down your pens, pause your word counts, and enjoy. My book is called The Old Place. It's a novel about a recently retired math teacher in a small Texas town who has a pretty eventful week. It's the first week of school. It's the first time in over three decades that she hasn't been getting her class ready. She has nothing to do for the first time in her adult life. And she's sort of just stewing sitting in her thoughts at home alone. And it's awful for her. She's usually an authority figure. People are very intimidated by her. She doesn't have the greatest reputation in the town. And now she's just alone with her thoughts and it's terrible. She's trying to reconnect with her neighbor who is her best friend, maybe like her only real good friend. And it just so happens that this very week she gets a visit from her estranged sister who has some big news. (laughs) And it sort of throws her for a loop. And she has to deal with a lot of secrets and lies and you know family histories that she's never shared before over the course of one week that nails it you, you said it perfectly <laughs> I hope so. i'm still getting like a little used to like no i was yeah and i love hearing your description after reading the book too because i'm like yes yes and yes and i know the things you're not mentioning because uh-huh. you can't because they're spoilers so i know enjoyable too okay just it's driving us crazy mm-hmm. that we can't spoil yeah i know it's it's I it's know, It's really tough. And like, I dug my own grave with this because I structured it such that I can't give away a lot of the stuff that I would love to talk about without it ruining the reveals. But I think it's worth it. And I think it still sounds interesting without knowing everyone who shows up. It absolutely does. And and, and I think our questions, I think we're going to get into the craft part of it just because we're more of a craft podcast. So it's perfect. Great. Yeah, but before that, I'm sure there are other writers who will be in this situation where they can't talk about the book with spoilers. Do you have any tips for them? Because that's hard. I'm still kind of figuring it out, but remember why you love the characters to begin with. At least I can talk about Mary Alice for days and I can talk about her, I think, enough because I'm so in love with her that it's okay that I can't tell everything because what I can tell, I'm really happy with. And I feel like I do know her, but that seems like bad advice because of course the writers know their characters better than anyone else. So I don't know. Could we talk about the potato salad? Is that too much of a spoiler? Because I think that is a (laughs) wonderful way that we can talk about her character without saying exactly why she's doing everything. Yeah. The potato salad thing is so funny. I remember my agent, this was very, very early, but I had just finished the manuscript and she was like, I can already see the cover. Just make it a big tub of potato salad that says the old place on it. And I thought that was so funny. And I will never get that image out of my head. The town of Billington, which is where the novel takes place, is based on the town where I grew up in Texas, which is called Dehenis, which is southwest of San Antonio. Same exact geography as I described. In the book, there's a town called Trevino that's based on a town called Hondo, which is, you know, eight miles away. I wanted to distance myself a little bit because everything was fictional. I was just like, I need to add a little bit of distance to this. So I'm just going to change the name, even though I'm happy to tell anyone it's Dehenis. You know, Mm -hmm. like the stoplight, the store, the school, it's all Dehenis. The people are just inventions. So the potato salad is another real thing. My mom sometimes, I think usually have to make the potato salad at this big church event every year. And I love potato salad. And I love this potato salad, honestly, but there were all these sides. It was very similar to what I described. It was a different kind of event, but still. And it's just so vivid, the smells 
and the intensity of making this particular batch of potato salad because it's one thing to make food for like a family of five, but it's another thing to make literally vats of this stuff. And I remember being in the woman's kitchen where everyone was collecting everything so they could take it to the hall where this was. And I was just like, this is so much food. And I remember my dad chopping infinite onions. And I was like, this is sweating. It was sweating (laughs) and it was hot and it was kind of gross because it's in the summer in Texas. And ultimately it was one of my favorite meals of the year. It was just like this kind of disgusting, nasty assembly line. And I loved it. That picnic, it was a church thing, was just one of my favorite days of the year growing up because there were rides and confetti eggs and raffles. It was just very, very fun. But that memory, I just feel like food is such a good way to really connect to a place and to a memory. And I was like, well, that's my vivid memory, the potato salad. And here it's almost used as a weapon. Can you talk Mm -hmm. about that? Mm -hmm. I felt it was a weaponized potato salad. Definitely. The weaponization is invented too. My mom wasn't a complainer. She just did it. But to me, I was like, that looks so rough. And when I was developing Mary Alice, I was like, she's nasty, but people respect her. So her nastiness has to be when she's in a position of power, you know, where it's like, you kind of begrudgingly hate this person. She's so annoying in these particular instances, but like, we need to do the picnic and, you know, she has a job to do. So I guess I have to respect her a little bit. And I was thinking about all the sides that everyone would have to make. And I realized that I was really taking in the technicality of potato salad because it's a very easy recipe. You know, it's just some hard boiled eggs, a lot of onions, pickles, mayonnaise, potatoes, but it's just so tedious. It's truly like a chore. But it's like punishment, like writing lines on a chalkboard. You know, and I just thought that also was something that a nasty teacher would do, like punish you in that way where you're repeating the same thing over and over again, like think about your decisions. And it all fortunately fell into place like that. Just because I think we loved it. Potato salad is. Yeah, we loved it. I love how she gets annoyed at one person and then she's like, you're on potato salad. Can you read us the first page of your project? Oh. Yes, I can. I got it right here. Yeah, I have so many copies. They were delivered a couple weeks ago, and I was like, "What am I going to do with all these?" (laughs) Okay, Mary Alice Roth woke up and stared at the big old trunk, which may as well have been a reflection. Unmoved for years, the hunk of carved glossy hardwood sat under the window in her bedroom because she'd lost the only people strong enough to lift it somewhere else. At her age, the number of able bodies in a household doesn't tend to change, and neither does the way you sleep. Which meant Mary Alice. The sole inhabitant of 4 County Road 1818 for over 10 years and a left side sleeper since she was in a crib, knew that for the rest of her life, the first thing she'd see in the morning would be a hideous antique trunk she hated more than just about anything else in the world. And now she couldn't get rid of it even if she tried, unless she wanted to throw out her back and spend hours moaning on the floor hoping someone would knock on the door and check on her. (laughs) It was the sort of bottomless pit of a fact that made her wish she were dead. But she wasn't. Not today, at least. So she silenced the buzzing clock and began another week of living. What else was there for her to do anyhow? Awesome. You know, you heard me laughing and we do a ton of first pages at the Manuscript Academy. And this, for me, this is a perfect first page because (laughs) we knew where we were in time and space. We knew what the stakes were for Mary Alice. We had this feeling of her steadiness and her, you know, like the woman of habit Mm -hmm. and and her age. And then you're like, what's in the trunk as Mm -hmm. well? Second thing, we kind of got into Texas, but I'm from Maine. And this reminded me a lot of the Pulitzer Prize, um, Olive Kittredge. Yeah, yeah. Which is all about like this, you know, old woman from Maine and like the Maine sensibilities. And I also felt that Texas very quickly. And, and mm-hmm. I'm glad to hear that you're really close to that because it just felt so right to me. Mm-hmm. 
It's funny that you bring up the trunk. You mentioned like craft, but the first page is very similar to my first draft. But the most significant thing that was taken out of that first draft was what is in the trunk. There was a whole device of something being in the trunk. And when I took that out, because it was like very unnecessary and kind of overcomplicated things and added too many questions that I couldn't answer, I was just like, this isn't going to work. I don't need it. I still kept the trunk because I think the trunk itself is just so representative of how she has this stuff in her life that she doesn't like, and she doesn't even put in the work to fix it. She just decides to suffer for some reason. She could get people to get that trunk out of her house, and she doesn't. You know, I felt like the trunk was enough. But yeah, there's nothing in the trunk anymore. (laughs) There used to be something in the trunk. (laughs) Well, it's interesting, too, because we sometimes talk about people leading the reader into their worlds if it's sci-fi fantasy with a strong emotion. And Mm -hmm. here you do that, too, even though it's our world, which I think is really interesting. Like the annoyance she feels combined with a little bit of powerlessness, I think, is really, really relatable. And so I was like, okay, I get it. This is where we are. And even if she could get people to carry out the trunk, the fact that she can't do it herself, I'm sure, is extremely annoying to her. Oh, absolutely. And knowing that the two people who could and would have done it aren't there anymore. Mm -hmm. And then also she's kind of thinking about like, would they have done it? You know? Yeah. Would they have still respected me if they were able to even do it at this point? The trunk is something. So, I mean, it had so many small details. And I think my favorite, and I'm not sure why, was from the cradle. She's a side sleeper. And that's such a small detail, but her whole entire life, she has been one person. Yeah. And that shows that. And it's so simple. And I think we talk about details that just are, and you're giving the reader time And you're trusting the reader that they're going to make meeting. I think that's Mm -hmm. something you do incredibly well. You put it out there. You're unapologetic as you put it out there. And then you just kind of let us move through with Mary Alice. I appreciate you saying that. Yeah, I guess it does require a lot of trust that people are going to get it. I'm just glad that people got it, you know, that at least my editor got it. (laughs) Well, it's a very fast read. I remember looking down and seeing I was at 78%. And I was like, whoa, when did that happen? Um, (laughs) I love that. I love a fast read. I appreciate, though, that I feel like this is the kind of character a lot of people dismiss. They're like, oh, she's a woman of a certain age. She's retired. Let's just ignore her. And yet you give her so much life. And I just appreciated that. Oh, thanks. Yeah. I mean, that was definitely intentional as the way I guess everything is intentional. But I love and I'm drawn to like as a gay person, I'm drawn to stories and just broadly like queer person, but also someone who never felt like they belong where they were from which I guess could be anyone. I love stories about people who leave and find happiness because they left. But at the same time, I always wonder when I read those stories or watch those movies, what about everyone back there? You know, like it's sort of like to use the TV structure these days where they have that bottle episode that's like, oh, let's go back to the town for a second and revisit those people. I'm always really interested in everyone you leave behind when you go off and live your big, wonderful life where it's like, no, there's still big, wonderful lives back there. They just didn't have anything to do with you. And that's okay. It doesn't mean that they're worthless. It just means that they weren't your cup of tea, I guess. Well, I think that's some of the tension between her and her sister. And if I get too mm-hmm. spoilery, like, let me know. Yeah. Um, we have this wonderful tension between the two of them because in a sense, one got to leave, mm-hmm. the other didn't. Mm-hmm. Um, one got to be the pretty one, the other didn't. One more or less had her marriage work out the other didn't and finding out 
after feeling this tension and not knowing it was, finding out what happened at the wedding was for me one of my favorite, most satisfying scenes because mm -hmm. it was something that you had teased almost the whole book. And then suddenly it was so much more than mm -hmm. we expected it would be. And I found yeah. that really, really satisfying. Do you know how you kept us... A lot of writers try to build tension by withholding detail. Mm -hmm. And usually it doesn't work. Usually we just get annoyed and give up. You gave us just enough. How did yeah. you do that? I think a lot of it had to do with the fact that that chapter used to be earlier. And then when it moved over, when I like pushed it to the end because I felt like it was too much, I realized I needed to work in those like subtle gestures toward the truth, you know? that didn't exist before. But it was like, once I realized that I can't have all of that now, it'll be so much more satisfying to push that to the second half and close to the final quarter. I realized that I needed to make that relationship a little trickier and a little like add a little more nuance to it and add a few more glances and references. So it didn't come until later, but it was because I had to move it. I had to just, you know, drag the chapter right over. Mm -hmm. I especially love the moment when one of them is like, yes, you think this bad thing is happening and you think this is exactly what you want. I thought that was mm -hmm. so interesting. Yeah. And the moment that's like so explosive between them, and I think I can say this without it being a spoiler, I like that you said it felt like this big, awful moment and it was satisfying because it explained everything. But also that moment is kind of small and it's a moment that you could apologize for and it's a moment that you could fix maybe not instantly, but later. And just knowing that this awful moment is still pretty small, just grew and grew and grew and grew and grew and grew and grew over time was something that I wanted because I didn't want it to be this horrible act of violence between them, but I wanted it to be cutting in a way that you could really let fester, which is exactly what both of them do. And it's not in Mary Alice's personality to apologize. Exactly, exactly. But it's true. My mother has sisters and I've kind of watched my friends with sisters and it's a totally different situation. You know, sisters to sister relationships and how they go through their world. So my next question is kind of mathematical. You're probably going to hate me for it, but let's just go. I'm a former educator and this is my first September without teaching. Oh, wow. Um, ever. So I've tried the college level. And I felt that September, so just like personally, as I was reading it, and as a former educator, I read your main character, Mary Alice's teacher scenes with great interest. And because she's a perfect for snickety math teacher, and I like the snipes about derivatives and all those math things. Mm -hmm. And I liked how this added to a concreteness to her character versus mm -hmm. like an English teacher, which actually kind of like played in at one point. But she's just so complicated, right? So if you had to compare it to a math concept, what would it be? <laughs> Ooh. Right? Because she is mathematical. Okay. Well, I have to compare it to concepts that I know about. And I never okay. made it to calculus, but I did not. <laughs> I, I did do pre-calculus. <laughs> I did do pre-calculus. And that was my last one. Uh -huh. I think if I had to compare it to a concept, I would compare her to trigonometry because my experience in trigonometry was that it seemed so complex to me when I started it. I guess it had a reputation of like, it's such a kind of imposing word like trig, trigonometry. <laughs> and I think I took the class in high school or maybe eighth grade. And I remember it being completely understandable. I remember receiving clarity in trig very quickly. Whereas usually when I took a math class, I was absolutely up a creek. You know, I had yeah. the hardest time and trig, I figured out kind of quickly and I was really happy with it where it's like deceptively complex, I guess is how I would describe her. Yeah. Yeah. And it, that's what I, I got really into and nerded out on that a little bit because I do think I think like once you have all the pieces of her formula, mm -hmm. you get it. You get it. 
Mm-hmm. And it's almost like I looped till I got to the end. And then I wanted to go back to the beginning because it's once you understand all the parts of her formula and mm-hmm. why all those tiny pieces and you start plugging them into Mary Alice as a character, it makes so much sense. Yeah. Without all the pieces, sometimes you're like, why is she like that? Why? Well, mm-hmm. you know, that's not very. You're so mean. It's, yeah. yeah. Right. And so, and I think that's why we talked about like getting to the end is so important with this book because it pulls that math equation tight so that you have all the pieces really to understand it. And I don't think we see that in a lot of books. I mean, I appreciate you saying that. I think a lot of that comes from my own, I guess, defensiveness of her, where I was like, I need to cut people off at the past. Like, I know that people are going to not like this person. I know it's going to be hard to read this person for a while. And if anything, she only got nastier as the revisions (laughs) came by. And that was a lot to do with my editor, Gabby Mongeli at Putnam. She was like, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think she needs to be meaner. And I made her a little meaner and then a little meaner. And I was just like, this is going to be tough, but like, if I'm going to do this, I need it to make sense at the end. I don't want people to be upset at the end of this, where it's like, she doesn't deserve this sort of turnaround, or she doesn't deserve any sort of empathy from me. And because I was like, constantly putting myself in the perspective of like, myself as a reader, I was like, I need to sell her, I need to make her full, complete, like, totally warranted in all of her decision making. Can you tell us more about your editorial process and how you found your agent? Yeah, happy to tell this story because I didn't know what I was doing when I first started this. In college, I majored in advertising and in film and screenwriting. And I wanted to be a screener, but I didn't want to live in Los Angeles. I'm like too much of a baby to be in that sort of a cutthroat industry, but I liked doing it when I was writing fiction. That was the medium that was very welcoming to me. And I just had a lot of fun writing that type of fiction. And I kept doing it even as I had other jobs in my professional life, just for me, you know, like if when you have a non-creative job, you have to find an outlet somewhere. And that was my outlet. And I just do it alone, like totally happy with it. It's the same reason I like blogged on Tumblr for it or tweeted stupid <laughs> tweets because it was an outlet for this thing that I liked doing. And that was a screenplay that I wrote because I had these characters in my head. A lot of the names have changed. But when I had this story that I just really loved, it was just something that I wrote that I kept revisiting and wanting to fix and make better, even if I wasn't going to do anything with it. And it wasn't until a book agent, Kate McKean, my agent, who I just happened to follow on Twitter, said that she was open for queries. And I was like, I'm going to submit a query. How do I write a query letter? So I was I was learning all this as I go as an adult. I submitted a query letter. She said she was interested. She was like, I need a full manuscript. You're a debut author. Like, I can't do anything with the query letter, but like, I'm intrigued by what you have here. I need a full manuscript. She gave me a deadline. I was like, I'm not going to write this thing unless you give me a deadline. She gave me a deadline. And that's what I did. But the other thing about that process, I know that it's very unique, but I also think that everyone's process is very unique. And it was very helpful for me to hear from her that like, there are common ways in, but there are no required ways in. And for her to have faith in me was so important because again, I need to work on my confidence and to have these external forces saying, you're going to do this and this is what you're going to do is very helpful to me. But the process of turning the screenplay into a novel was very much like I needed to use it as an outline and no more because as I was writing it, I didn't want to fall back on the words that were in that because it was a completely different medium. And so I just used it as like beats. I was like, okay, now I have a very loose structure and I can fill in the blanks and filling in the blanks was just so much more rewarding than writing a screenplay. As much as I like doing it, it was just like, oh, I love just adding all this texture, even if it gets cut in the fourth or fifth or sixth draft or something like this is what I like doing. I just like making it as rich as possible. 
And then eventually it turned into this. All of these things came as individual lessons for the publishing industry to me. And fortunately, it worked out with a finished book. And that's great. Another thing that's helpful to me is to go in with zero expectations. So going in with zero expectations was extremely helpful because anytime I was told no or rejected, I was just like, okay, whatever. I didn't expect <laughs> you to like it. So, okay, thanks. <laughs> that's so interesting. I was going to ask you if you worked in television. Mm. Oh, no, 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 no. I could No, never. no, but like the fact <laughs> that you have a background in it, because you write and scene in such a complete way. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it felt to me that it would translate really well into a, a limited short or a movie. Every character was so unique. The third person omniscient worked really well. Yeah. And I considered first person, I considered changing voices every chapter, but I have more fun. I feel like I'm at my best when I'm doing third person omniscient. And that's how I'm thinking too. Like there's something about being in everybody's business at the same time. I want to hear everyone's thoughts at the exact same time. You know, it was really hard for me to separate them because it's everyone's story. You know, maybe down the line, I'll write something in first person. I just really don't see it happening because that's the voice that I like reading personally. And it's just the voice that I was most comfortable writing, at least now. But that makes sense because you can't really make the town a character if you can't see all of it at once. And you can't really make everyone's feelings layer on each other if you can't see all of them at once. Yeah. And I think that sometimes it would get a little messy and there was a lot of cutting down there. But I just kept thinking about like this entity looking at this town and trying to figure all of them out. You know, that's kind of how I approached it and just trying to understand what's going on. And you have to look at it all at once. However you put it was so eloquent and wonderful. And I wish I had it like stitched out. <laughs> yeah. Going back to the television, I guess it's almost like that camera was just like, you just took the camera and you just moved it across the street. And now we're there mm-hmm. and moved it down the road and we're like, you know, and that worked really well. And it didn't feel disjointed and it felt like it was seamless in that transition. Great, thanks. Um, can we go back to the fact that you wrote one query for one agent for one book and it worked out i i know it makes me feel crazy and crazy lucky and weird i know that so many writers and so many writers i love are as good as they are because they've been doing it forever right they've wanted to do it forever and like i've always wanted to be a writer but not necessarily a novelist and it it still feels crazy that my first query to my first agent was successful but i'm also deeply aware of that and i just am taking it as a chance to just feel as lucky as I possibly can, you know, like, and not only the first query to the first agent, but like a story that I give a shit about a story that I really, really care about that I'm proud of. I just feel like it's just a great position to be in, even though I'm like a little nervous. I was talking to my mom about it yesterday and she asked how I was feeling. And I was like, Oh, kind of insane, like anxious, nervous. And she was just like, why it's done. And I was like, yeah, you're right. It's done. I should be happy that it's done. Why, why do I feel anxious about any of this? But yeah, I understand that it's a extremely unique position to be in. And I know that my podcast had a lot to do with it. I know that they were doing some marketing thoughts where it's like, okay, well, he can tell his podcast listeners to listen to it. And that's like a unique thing. That's cool. Like I am, believe me, hyper aware of all of those things, but I wanted to make it something I could be as proud of as possible. Do you think the nervousness is partly, I don't know if you've ever had this experience where if you write the same content for different people, it comes out differently because you're imagining a different audience. Suddenly your audience is going to be a bunch of people lighting up all over the country reading it. Do you Mm -hmm. think that almost works in reverse? Like now that you know a bunch of people have seen it and lent their perspectives that way, you'll read it differently? I think I definitely will. Like uh, even my most recent read of it, I felt a little different. Like I was even happier with it. You know, like once I could kind of step away for a few months and then go back to it when it was fully finished, I was like, yeah, 
And then seeing and knowing that people I admire and just friends that I love read it and liked it made me lose some of my tension where I was like, I was trying to just read it as a reader and being like, you know what? It's fine. It, it's okay. At least the people that you care about like it, like that's all that matters. And I think it took the edge off. It did change the way that I viewed it. I mean, I'm kind of curious. So I looked you up after I read the book because I was like, well, who's the person that wrote this book? You know, you always do that at the end. And then I, mm. saw, and I saw, you know, the massive amounts of Twitter followers. And then I listened to your podcast a little bit and heard your great <laughs> voice there. Because uh, I mean, that's, that's interesting to us as like, who creates this book? And yeah. so how do you move from one modality, the podcasting, you know, interviewing people, more kind of like celebrity land in some way to a book as grounded as this? Like, how did you... Did you have any rituals? Did you just take them to different parts of the day? Did you just mm. have separate? Like, just tell us about that process. Yes to two of those things. I had rituals, separate parts of the day in that at the time we were recording four episodes a week and we always record in the mornings and we split editing and like producing jobs. So I was recording four episodes a week and editing two episodes a week. And those two episodes a week were the busiest days. <laughs> but the thing about it though, like I I love that podcast and I love doing it. So it's grating because it's work and work is work, but at least it was fun to record. Like the recording part is fun because I'm just having a conversation with my friend. But when it comes to writing, I really needed to be in a completely different space. But the problem is physically, I was in my little one bedroom apartment <laughs> in New York. So there really wasn't space. So I had to work on the podcast and the book at the same desk, which happened to be in my bedroom. But I worked at it at a different time of day and I was able to turn off the podcast. It was very helpful to turn off the internet. My show, it's so entertainment news, it's media. It's about everything that the celebrities are doing all the time because celebrity journalism is always on now, just like all journalism is always on in 2022. And so I had to just turn that off, turn off the Wi-Fi, open up the most like sparse word processor I could use and set a word count for myself. So I found that I know a lot of people like doing daily word counts. I found that the thing that worked after like trying different variations of that, I found that weekly word counts were my sweet spot. Like if I could hit a weekly word count, I was happy because sometimes that meant 500 words a day. Sometimes I meant a thousand words a day. Sometimes it was 1200 words a day. Sometimes it was zero words a day, but like it made me get over that maybe disappointment in myself and not hitting a word count on a particular day for any number of reasons. And also I was afternoon. I couldn't write in the morning. I couldn't make that work ever. And I couldn't write in the evening because I really needed, especially during the pandemic, I needed time to turn completely off, you know, like play a video game, watch a movie, like cook. Cooking is like my big, you know, shut off the world. So I found that writing in the afternoon, setting a weekly word count and having no internet on, just the screen, black on white, was the way that it worked for me. That was my way in. The potato salad makes more sense knowing. I know, right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I think it's so interesting that so much of this is internal conflict, past events woven together, but they feel immediate. Did anyone have to tell you, hey, here is how you make these things feel immediate? Or was that intuitive? Or how did that work? No, I guess it was just intuitive. It was a story that like I said, had existed for so long that it felt very fleshed out to me already. Um, and I felt like I thought about it so long that I had broken it down so many times and so many different times, both on the page and in my head, that like I felt pretty confident and comfortable in the story itself. And without getting into spoilers, there was only one bit of trouble that I got into. And it had to do with, um, how can I say this with spoilers in a way that you'll understand, Josie's trip to Trevino to look up newspaper archives. That whole subplot, like the whole thing about that 
never quite made sense to me until it did. I was just like, all of this deception and all of these lies are believable to me. It's believable to me that people might turn their head the other way and just choose not to acknowledge it. But like that whole thing is something I was like, I'm going to figure this out when I get to it. You know, like however many tens of thousands of pages and I'll get to that later. And by the time I got to it, I was like, now I'm struggling. And that took a long time. But for the most part, everything else had been so fleshed out that it was pretty smooth, that process. Yeah. That's so interesting. I just thought she was being a busybody. Yeah, well, I, I, I realized, of course, she's a busybody and she's from New York and she's used to being busy and going to a lot of places all the time. And it's like, there are many places you can go in, in Billington. So she was like, at least I get to go somewhere else. You know, like I get to go to another borough. Like I get to go to the library. I get to go to the archives. Like it was something for her to do. And it just so happens that it helped her kind of find a piece of the puzzle. Is the pool in her backyard a metaphor? Yeah. What, what's the yes. pool? <laughs> yes. The pool is a metaphor. The pool used to be like irritating. Like the pool was such a metaphor. They were like, Bobby, you have to cut this. <laughs> and, I <was> like, <laughs> and I was like, can I please just leave in this one scene with the pool? And it's the main scene in the pool where she's sitting there um, at the beginning, you know, drinking a glass of wine on the edge. There was a lot more about her swimming, but I was like, I'm just going to let it be a very obvious metaphor and just kind of reference it as as few times as possible because they were like, you're leaning too into this pool. Like, relax, we get it. Um, But yes, the pool is a metaphor. Yeah. Well, I also love the neighbor who's like, also, you sit in this empty hole all the <laughs> yeah. time. I, I know this <laughs> because we have a fence in common. Yeah, yeah. Oh I watch God. you. And, and it's funny because she should know that as a New Yorker. But I think in New York, it's like you have this proximity to people, but like you forget that people can see you. Yeah, because um, they're polite and they act yeah, like they're polite. they can't. <laughs> yeah. I think it was a tweet that I saw once. It was like, everyone in New York has a naked neighbor. And if you don't know who your naked neighbor is, you're the naked neighbor. And I was just like, <laughs> I was just like, oh, that's so funny. Like when you look out the window and you see all these people and you just, like you said, I pretend not to see that. Yeah. Oh my gosh. That's amazing. So we always give away a free copy of your book. Cool. So we ask for a secret code word for our listeners. Do you have a secret code word, the first person to send in the secret code word will get a new copy of Bobby's book. Yes. The secret code word is the first thing I can think of. Uh, It's coffee. It's coffee. It's coffee. We like that. So the first person to send an email with coffee in the subject line to (laughs) academy at manuscriptwishlist.com will get a copy of this book. Hardcover if you're in the States, digital if you're not. Bobby, thank you so much for awesome. being here. Thanks, Thanks for you. having me. This was amazing. such a nice chat. Yeah. Thank you so much. <laughs> all right. Well, okay. good luck. We yeah. really appreciate this book. I trust it will get all the acclaim it deserves. And we're preemptively happy for you. Well, thank yeah. you so much. And this was a great chat. Thank you so thank much. Thank you so much for having <laughs> Bye. Bye. We are so glad that you joined us. And as always, we appreciate your feedback. Just head on over to the iTunes store and let us know what you think. It not only helps us make this podcast be the best it can be, but it also affects our ratings within the iTunes platform. We'd love to hear from you. If you're feeling brave and want to submit your page for our first pages podcast, you can send it to academy at manuscriptwishlist.com with first pages podcast in the subject line. We'd also just love to hear from you. And if you'd like to learn more about the Manuscript Academy and everything we have to offer, just jump on over to manuscriptacademy.com.